Hello. I'm so flipping excited for this story. I'm excited too. I already know what it is. And I have been telling you for weeks how excited I am for this. Roxy's yelling. She's excited. We're all excited. Yes. Come on, Jack. All right. Tell everybody where we are going today, Amanda. We are going to the Salem Witch Trials. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Okay, so I used quite a few resources, but the main ones are the Smithsonian Channel, uh, Karina Chicano. She did a like this whole magazine in Life Explorers. And then I also used SalemGhost.com. Okay. All right. So I don't know about you, but I always thought that the Salem witch trials were like the only witch trials to ever happen. Like, I, I don't know. I never thought of anything else ever happening. The witch trials. You know, I really don't think I put too much thought into it. I know the only ones that I know of are Salem, but I never really like thought if there could have been others to tell you the truth. Well, that's where I was at. And then when I started digging into this, I mean, this was the coolest rabbit hole I've ever went down in my life. So witch hunts actually happened way, 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 way long before Salem. So we're talking pre-modern Europe, and this was considered the Middle Ages. Uh, Witches were just considered a normal fact of life. Uh, They just existed, just like everybody else did. It was, they didn't really think too much about it. And to Europeans, before the Age of Enlightenment, people would just, there was a neighbor down the street, she was a witch. There was a neighbor down the street, he was a, a a witch or a wizard. Nobody gave it a second thought. So these people were quote unquote witches and the community was okay with it? Yes, it was just a way of life. Nobody thought twice about it. Um, There was no malicious intent with them. They were just thought to be witches and it was fine. They didn't do anything evil. they weren't blamed for evil things. I think it was almost a, uh, like, you know how people be like, oh, the shoe, shoe fixer, shoemaker. Um, what else do they have? Like tailors, uh, I don't know, farmers, whatever. So it was just like a normal profession, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Huh. <clears throat> Nobody thought twice about it. But then I was thinking that maybe this was all due to their lack of understanding science. And then when science was introduced to the world or a scientific understanding of things, is this where the dichotomy of science and evolution versus God actually started? Okay. So it definitely piqued my interest. But yeah, so I did not know this and I'm a Catholic, but back even in the Bible, in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy, witches were mentioned a witch was just a person they define them as representing opposition to what was normal in society uh they might have been like their whole purpose was to be the opposite of the power structure okay uh today like this equivalent would be someone who just opposed the government or opposes politics so all the people that today just 
don't want anything to do with the government are sick of it back you know thousands hundreds and thousands of years ago they'd be considered witches oh all right so the pre-modern europeans like they just kind of thought witches were a bit of a nuisance but they pretty much left them go they started to differentiate between good and bad witches and this is where white magic and they either called it black magic or dark magic but that's where this was starting to come about mm -hmm. uh, good witches practiced white magic most often witches that practiced white magic had a lot of medical knowledge so they used their white magic to help people and then I actually saw this morning, there was a, I don't know, a thing on Instagram that carrots were used as medicine before they were used as food. They had like medicinal, it has medicinal properties in it, which I didn't know. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So, so would they like mix it with something or would they literally just like hand somebody a carrot and be like, here, this will fix it? I'm wondering if they, I don't know if they'd you know, sliver them and dry it out and then use the dried part, you know, like create an herb out of it almost. That actually would make a lot of sense. Or if they somehow capsulated them and called it medicine. Uh, but it kind of seemed like if you were able to provide medical care to people that you'd be considered a witch. Them. So there's a historian named Brian Levack, and he said, magic is a power that's activated and controlled by human beings to produce readily observable empirical results for the world. Okay. So I kind of, I, I took that, I interpreted it that they'd call it magic, but I think it was just early medicine. That's what it sounds like to me. So white magic was practiced by midwives, doctors. Uh, it was used to help people grow crops, cure illnesses. Everything good could be attributed to white magic. Okay. But black magic, it was also called malef maleficia, maleficia. And it reminded me of Maleficent. That's what I was just thinking of. That's funny. Yeah, and then the word mal in Spanish means bad. So, yeah, I'm thinking male malefica, maleficent almost. So what, so if you were helping people and coming up with these remedies to help people get better, you were automatically considered a good witch. Yes, and you, or you practiced good, or I'm sorry, white magic. White magic. No matter like anything else that you did, if you were doing that, you were, you practice white magic. Yes. Okay. But then this black magic was used to injure, bring disease on, uh, sometimes death, poverty, misfortune would be blamed on black magic. Okay. So in my head, and I could be getting ahead of myself here, if somebody happens to have one of these misfortunes do they automatically blame it on a witch that wasn't considered a good witch maybe like how can they pinpoint like witches. how do they know these quote-unquote bad witches right which witch is it right yeah like yeah 
my mind is going now. (laughs) Well, I'll get to this in a little bit, but just to give you a snippet. So in Salem, it like the people that were accused of being witches may have gotten into a fight with their neighbor and then something bad would happen to the neighbor. Like their crops would die, they'd get sick. And then that's kind of where the the finger pointing started back then like okay that makes sense I got into a fight with my neighbor and the next day or that that season my crops didn't do well he or she is a witch put a hex on me okay so I think that could have probably been going on back then uh so with the white versus the black magic this evolved into being a matter of class like low class poverty or the wealthy you know like that was one of the factors and then also gender uh if people were well educated and wealthy nine times out of ten they had to be men they would practice what was called high magic so this high magic this is alchemy which is modern day medicine uh divination which has religious undertones or astrology so there's a famous astrologer, Galileo. He was considered an alchemist. He practiced high magic, white magic. Okay. Sir Isaac Newton, uh, he was another, er, I'm sorry, Galileo was the astrologer and then Sir Isaac Newton was the alchemist. So when Galileo was involved in astrology and I don't know, researching the stars in the sky that was high magic or good magic white magic but when men or men were hardly ever questioned women were questioned when they practiced what was considered low magic or black magic that doesn't surprise me of course yeah and then if you were uneducated you had no formal education uh it might have been practiced by peasants it was passed down from generations and through apprenticeship that was called low magic okay so it's definitely you can see where the class comes into play and then mm-hmm. gender so black magic was low white magic was high and it had a lot to do with money and if you were a man or a woman so the rich and the educated were not punished for practicing magic but the poor and the uneducated would be punished. Again, yeah. does not surprise me, unfortunately. Yep. So the vast majority of the people who did get in trouble from practicing witchcraft ended up being women. Uh, they did have some men, but it, 80% of those that were accused and convicted between 1450 and 1750 were female. So medieval Europe thought women were morally weak. They were sexually charged and more likely to give in to the devil's lust. So the devil's lust. The devil's lust. Because most, I'll get into it, what we people thought was going on, but it involved copulation and fornication, which is basically oral sex or regular sex with the devil or demons. Okay. Yeah. So that's what they thought was going on. Uh, They just, it was unjust. Women would be charged with, started to be charged with sorcery. So women's role in society, this is, I'm not like a crazy feminist, but you can definitely see 
how patriarchy formed uh, throughout the centuries because women's role in society during this time, they were, this put them in the perfect place to be accused of witchcraft. They were healers, they were caregivers, they'd cook and they'd clean. They would take ingredients that were real simple and make a meal out of it. Well, this was magic. This is witchcraft. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So if they were practicing medicine, if they would help people get better, uh, this was good magic. But if this, if they weren't able to heal people, they were considered, you know, doing black magic. That's wild. Okay. Uh, if they deliver a baby, this was white magic. They were practicing good magic. If they delivered a baby and something would happen, like negatively, this was black magic. And think of it during this time. I, okay, the rates of stillborns. You know, this is why people had 15 kids. Um, things could go wrong during pregnancy. They didn't have today's technology or medical advancements. Right. And then the women were giving birth. I mean, they could die from blood loss or infection, different diseases, and automatically it was put on the caregiver and they said they were practicing black magic. That's kind of crazy because I think it was definitely more common than it is today for that type of stuff to happen. Yeah, so this was how they they figured out an explanation for it. The the midwife either was practicing white magic or black magic and it was such a gamble and really had nothing to do with the midwife it was let's just hope and pray everything goes okay with this delivery so i live i wonder why women would even want to be a midwife right because i'm not gonna lie that would scare me i don't think i would want to do that but do you see how that like, I don't know, oppression started to form. Like, yeah, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to speak out. You don't want to draw attention or accusations, you know, keep quiet, do what you have to do and you'll live, which is scary. Yeah. Uh, Women physically and politically were considered weaker than men. And the men of this time period thought magic gave women the power to get revenge because they were politically and physically weaker than man. Of course they did. (laughs) All right, so 15th century is the end of the Middle Ages. This is a big paradigm shift in time. This started the, the era of not tolerating witches at all. So the definition of a witch would evolve as time would go on, and it was really dependent on and reflective of whatever Christianity's current fears were. So the church kind of plays into this. Okay. Uh, The accusations of witchcraft swept through the British Isles in Europe, and it was all propelled by the Catholic Church. Wow. Yeah. So the entire worldview was changing, and then centuries of folklore and stories evolved, and like new definitions would be given to what witchcraft is. So at this time, the end of the Middle Ages, the 15th century, witches committed maleficia. I hope to God I'm saying that right. (laughs) 
Maleficia, Maleficia, they'd make a pact with the devil. They worship the devil. And this one, I don't know why, but it kept cracking me up. They went, they'd go to nocturnal meetings with the devil. Like, I guess he was busy during the day. Yeah, I guess so. Couldn't be bothered in the daytime. No, he had, he was booked. (laughs) Tired. 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. He was really busy. (laughs) Sundown, he could be there. And this is all witches now, correct? Yes. Now, the Catholic Church was behind this, and all of a sudden, we're not tolerating witches anymore. They said that witches would perform maleficia, they'd reject the faith, and they'd have a devil baptism. And this devil baptism involved the devil putting some kind of distinctive mark on a woman. Uh, Either he would have sex with her or she'd have sex with demons as part of this, I don't know, like, uh, what do you call that? Like, like acceptance, you know what? Like an initiation almost? That's the word, initiation, yeah. So she'd be given a distinctive mark. Most times these were freckles and moles. I would, that's what I was thinking of. I was like, it's going to be like a birthmark or a freckle or a mole. Something that almost, I'd say 99.9% of everybody has, everybody has one, right? Like, oh my God, I have millions. I know I have them all over my arms too. Yeah. I mean, just, and then you think, okay, these are European people. They have fair skin. Of course, they're going to have moles. Like most yeah. fair skin have moles and freckles. Wow. Uh, and the best part of this, during the initiation, uh, the witch would have to kiss the devil's butt and then she was free to practice dark magic. Why the butt? <laughs> like maybe the hand? No, the devil's butt. <laughs> yeah, you kiss the devil's butt, then you can practice magic. Okay. So the common beliefs at this time period witches would gather at night for meetings called sabbaths which this threw me off because according to the catholic church they say keep holy the sabbath day which is considered sunday Mm -hmm. but i guess in terms of this gathering at night you know like the witches would meet with the devil to gather at night and these are these meetings were called sabbaths oh all right so like during these Sabbaths, these nighttime meetings, uh, the power of flying would be given to witches so they could travel long distances to celebrate together. This was before Zoom. <laughs> they didn't have Zoom back then? No, so that's no. <laughs> power of flying was given to witches. All right. And now they're saying that witches would perform sacrifices eat children and copulate with demons. Uh, So this all came about, it kind of got intertwined with Germans or Germanic superstitions. Uh, There's something called strige and it's when supernatural entities have the ability to turn into screech owls and fly away. So this kind of married with this local, well, it was evolving as a worldview about witches. lore began about witches having the ability to fly and it was that they would turn into owls which is also interesting because owls are now considered like a evil or demonic presence and i I did not know that yeah so it all started with this german superstition 
Um, so if a witch was discovered, now they're saying she has a community or a coven around her. So we got to figure out who is in her coven because there can never just be one witch. There'd be multiple. Yeah, there had to be. I don't know why there had to be a coven though. So during these Sabbaths, I guess they thought Catholic services would be mocked. Um, they would sing with hoarseness, gruff and tuneless voices. <laughs> Will you give us an example? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really interested in this though. Horse, hoarseness, gruff and tuneless. <laughs> what do you think that sounds like? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, they would recite prayers backwards while standing on their heads. Yeah. That's pretty, then, that takes talent. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I could do either of those singularly, let alone. No. I don't know that I've ever stood on my head and I can barely say words forwards, like let alone backwards. Me too. Agreed. 100%. <laughs> Um, and then they would they'd have a consecrating host that was made of some kind of black substance. I don't know the deal, I guess, because, you know, the bread is considered the body of Christ and that's white. Mm -hmm. so the opposite of that would be black. That could very well be it. So the entire world ended up finding out about witches. It spread like wildfire through public witch trials. And then they actually had these written treaties on witchcraft. And they would torture people until they confessed to being witches. Again, it's, I mean, how much of a beating are you going to take? They're like, we'll stop if you admit you're a witch. Fine, I'm a witch. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It, yeah, I don't think I would last very long, not going to lie. No. Gosh. <clears throat> Like, well, the first thing they do is look at me and be like, you have moles, you're a witch. <laughs> That's it. You caught yeah. me. I don't have a tolerance for pain. You got me. Pretty much. I mean, at that point, they're going to do whatever it is they're going to do to you, no matter what you say. So, like, in my head, like, okay, let's just get the, the torturing over with. Like, yeah, totally. you know what I mean? Yep you're either going to get tortured longer and they're going to do whatever it is they're going to do, or you're just going to confess right away and they're going to do the same thing. You know, it, it wouldn't matter. Exactly. Now this I found to be really unsettling. <sighs> yeah, really unsettling. The Pope Innocent Eighth in December, 1484 wrote a letter and he condemned witches and witchcraft. He authorized two men. Their names were Heinrich Kramer and Jacobus Springer. And this is an exact quote. To exercise their office of inquisition and to proceed in the correction, imprisonment, and punishment of any witch found. And oh. yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Pope. The friggin' Pope. Wow. So uh, they got together and wrote a book. A lot of people thought that Heinrich Kramer wrote most of the book and maybe this Jacobus Springer just kind of co-signed his name on it. Mm -hmm. But the book was called Malleus Maleficarum and it translates to the hammer of the witches. 
uh, it provided guidance to judges on how they were going to deal with witches. And Kramer at this point, well, for most of his life, he was not liked. People thought he wrote the book because it was his life's work to destroy any kind of enemy of faith. So if you spoke out against faith in any way, shape or form, or you questioned anything, I mean, like this really put this guy's panties in a bunch. <laughs> uh, he earned a doctorate of theology from Rome. So this was a really, really, really high honor at the time. And the people, like his colleagues, they did not like him at all. He was really disliked, super unpopular. They said he was arrogant, rude, and senile. So he had a chip on his shoulder and he had something to prove. And I think the more carried away he got with this stuff, the more people didn't like him, which further pushed his agenda of you know, having something to prove. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, it's just kind of like, it was a big circle. So this Malleus book, it, it was a witch hunting book. Uh, there was a lack of support by the local secular and religious authorities. So secular, I think is how we know it as the modern day justice or judicial system. Like the okay. mm -hmm. there were secular authorities, kind of like the police and then religious authorities. I believe this is where the whole separation of power and, or what is it? Yeah, power of state and church started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what happened was this, uh, you know, the guy that's writing this book, Kramer, he used all these misogynistic quotes that would drive and reinforce his beliefs. Like he'd take things out of context and include them in this book. So he pushed this idea that the devil targeted women because they were weak. Check this out. He said that because women were created from God's bent rib, she was immediately, innately less than man. She was less superior and far weaker than men since she was born from a curved rib, God. I never heard that before. Wow. Okay. Well, if we go back to Adam and Eve, right? So Adam was lonely and God pulled a piece of his rib out and then that turned into Eve. Okay. So this guy saying that this bent rib, I, I don't even know how Adam was formed, but because a woman was formed from a bent rib, that she was weaker. Freaking men. <laughs> like, that's all I really have to say. Well, and it's, I mean, he went through so many different books and I, I don't even know, tablets or, what, you know, like, etchings on caves like whatever he could he just threw everything together to further his agenda and support this notion that women were weaker they were targeted by the devil and here's a billion reasons why and it was just anything that could support his claim he did nothing to refute his claim it was just like it was so biased of course yeah so this malleus book it gave instructions on how to examine sentence and execute women who were engaged in witchcraft. Um, is this book still like around? Do you know? I would imagine. Let me say. I would be curious. It's going to be written in that old timey language though. It is still available. Oh, is yeah. it? Yeah. 
Yep. It says it was written by the Catholic clergyman Heinrich Kramer, first published in Germany, in Speyer, Germany in 1486. Hmm. And it was the literature of demonology in the 15th century. Um, so it's originally written in Latin. I'd imagine there's a translation available. Yeah, we should check that out. Yeah. They have the... Uh, like the ebooks available from Barnes and Nobles for two dollars. Huh. Like suck on that, dude. Your book's selling for a dollar ninety-nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? So this Kramer said this needs to be processed in a secular court, not a religious or theological court because these are real crimes and they have to be given real consequences so this shifted it's no longer a religious problem now it's a, a like a justice system like now this is going to public court uh and this also shifted the burden of eliminating witches out of the religious court and onto the secular court so it's almost like a puppeteer you know what i mean like I can control things and pull my strings from back here. I'm pushing it off the burden or I'm pushing the burden off the Catholic church. And now it's onto the court systems. Yeah. And, but he, the book was written, you know, this guy's a Catholic clergyman who's writing this, but he's writing this as an instruction guide for not the religious courts. You know, it's. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but they, they're like, hey, this is it. So actually during the 16th and 17th century, there were 40 to 50,000 people that were executed in Europe for witchcraft. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? I didn't realize it was that mean. big. Yeah, like that's a lot of people. Yeah, it is. I guarantee you, like we'd have to be somehow related to at least one of them. Oh, probably. Yeah, with that many. Yeah. Yeah which I think is super interesting like yeah. at the bottom of that. I kind of want to go and explore more on my, uh, oh, I forget which DNA thing I have. Answer. I don't remember, but I have one of them. Yeah. Go down my family tree somewhere. Yep. So 20% of those that were executed were men. Uh, the other 80%, they were elderly women, poor women, widows. Most of them didn't have surviving children. They may have had children that died in childbirth or when they were little. Witch hunts occurred globally. It wasn't just Salem. It wasn't just Europe. It was all over. In Iceland, and I don't understand what was happening in Iceland, but I'm curious because this definitely is different from the rest of the world. They accused thousands of people and 90% of them were men. Oh, so they're changing it up, huh? But I wonder why it was like, it was that drastic, like, like it was totally yeah. what was going on from the rest of the world. Hmm. Uh, and it was just, I like, they believe because people were looking for someone else to blame for their misfortune. Anytime something went wrong, they had to place the blame on someone they de immediately defaulted to witches. So in France, it was mostly women accused. The peak witch hunt years were between 1580 and 1650. So we're quite a long time. Yeah, you know, almost <sighs> what, 70 years. But 
it's interesting because these are the peak witch hunting years, but mm -hmm. this didn't start in Salem until 1692. So the rest of the world's kind of on the decline when this ravaged Salem. That's kind of wild. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So ground zero was actually what is now modern day Germany, Switzerland, Northeast France, and the Southern Netherlands. This area accounted for less than half the population of Europe, yet it had three quarters of the witches or the three quarters of the execution of witches. So they just kind of like went around killing people in this area and accused them of witchcraft. Oh, wow. Uh, they said, it, well, historians believe that it was economic pressures that caused strains on families. And then they'd notice a pattern when there were economic pressures which hunts would follow. I get that. That makes sense. Yep. Uh, Catholics and Protestants fought a lot during hardships. So it was uh, religious turmoil. And all these people, they took all their limited beliefs and all their superstitions with them, and they became the colonists of the New World. Oh, okay. So now we're going to go to Salem. So the Puritans, they believed that anything negative that happened to them was God's wrath. Like anything bad, you're being punished and anything good that happened, it was because God was rewarding you. You know, modern day science, we can kind of see how, you know, like hurricanes might cause torrential rain, which caused flooding. Like there's a scientific explanation for it. At this mm -hmm. point, it was God's wrath. Amanda did something and now God's mad and punishing all of us and it's raining. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> she didn't pray correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1654, there was an English settler named Mary Lee. She left London for Maryland. During the voyage, now this is 1650, right? Or 1654, but that time period. So rumors about her being a witch started to circulate, and then all of a sudden the ship ran into bad weather. The weather kept getting worse. It's a, I, I mean, you're on a boat sailing from London to Maryland, and you hit bad weather. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Well, they stripped her naked, found the mark of the devil near her genitals, and hanged her on the boat. And that was how they thought to solve their witchcraft problem. Do you know why um, people thought, assuming she was a witch, like why her? I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm assuming based on, you know, the common theme here, like maybe she was poor, elderly, a widow, didn't have children, like something. She was different from everyone else. That seems to be the common theme and the people that were blamed for witchcraft. Something huh. about her was different. She could have just been quirky. I don't know. Uh, Virginia's first witchcraft trial was in 1626. And then I also found this, which blew my mind because I guess knowing it happened in Salem is one thing, but from PA all the way to New York, prosecution of witches swept through the colonies. Did not know that either. Right? So I definitely want to do more research and find out about the trials that took place in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I'd be curious to know. 
Me too. Uh, in the New England colonies, witchcraft trials started in 1647 in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, there was a woman named Alice Young. She was tried, convicted, and hanged. And then trials started gaining momentum for the next 20 years. So 1647 through 1667, like it really started picking up in the Northeast colonies or New England colonies. After Alice's hanging, there were 30 colonies in New England. There were over 50 trials and they killed 11 witches. Uh, the Puritans came here in America. They wanted to stop the corruption, like political and spiritual corruption from the Church of England. So the whole, like even the word Puritan, it, they wanted to purify the Protestant Church of England. That was their whole idea. That's why they came here. So the Puritans founded the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630. They believed that God was all powerful, humans were sinners, and God would choose certain people for salvation. These people were called the elect. Okay. Everyone else that wasn't considered the elect was condemned. Uh, they perpetuated these spiritual fears and they defy Puritan. If anyone defied Puritan law, they were sent to the gallows. So they made their own laws. And then anyone that didn't follow them, they'd kill them. Who, how did they um, decipher who was considered an elect? God did. So if people were rewarded by having good crops or I don't even know, like having land, they were considered an elect. God, God was rewarding them. So it was for the people who good things were happening in their lives, pretty much. Yeah. And <clears throat> all right. So this is like my modern day comparison. Uh -huh. My neighbors have really nice grass. Uh, my husband got really annoyed having to cut the grass, you know, twice a week last summer. Mm -hmm. so he changed the lawnmower to being like this, you know, the blades were real short and he uh -huh. all of our grass. <laughs> and we've been trying to grow grass now for two years. And it's really frustrating because there's grubs and, uh, you know, like certain weather conditions, like it's a disaster. It was a mud pit last year. Now there's bald spots, there's weeds. So you would not be an elect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having misfortune. I can't grow any grass. And my next door neighbor, like there's a line. You can clearly oh, no. from space. You can look out the airplane window and see the line of my neighbor's nice plush grass and our weeds and mud pit spots. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Thank you. Full time. Thank you. <laughs> so January 1692 through October of 1692 is when the Salem witch trials were in full speed. Mm -hmm. Salem, the colony, was given autonomy. They could build a meeting house and they could hire a minister. I don't really understand how the justice system was working. I'm assuming they were the New England colonies. I think they were still ruled by England or so, you know what I mean like they, we were still connected to England somehow but yeah they left there to escape religious prosecution start over so I'm not entirely sure but I know there was still some kind of affiliation with England mm -hmm. uh 
this independence left the village with they had like absolutely no bureaucratic structure and it was kind of like a legal free zone so they were ruled by puritan law that they like somebody was just creating these puritan laws just as they go yeah yeah, yeah. like i and i don't know because it's so hard to wrap your head around their limited knowledge and beliefs because with technology and medicine like modern day science like we know so much more than they did right yeah uh in 1684 the massachusetts bay colony lost their charter meaning they lost all their legal rights and protection and this was due to violations uh they there was a prohibition on passing religious laws and they kept passing religious laws. So they lost their charter. So they had no legal rights. They had no legal protection. I mean, I get the concept of that, but I don't know what exactly it implied for the colony. That's what I was just thinking too. Like, what exactly does that mean? Like what kind of protection were they getting? Right. I don't know if it has to do with maybe if there were a lot of Native American attacks, like maybe they would be able to call in for reinforcement, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. it was kind of like, listen, you're on your own. You got to figure it out. We're not, we're not helping you with anything. Or if it was, you know, maybe they needed, they wanted to trade, you know, goods or services and they weren't being helped in that kind of a way. That's why mm-hmm. I'm not sure. In 1691, a new charter was granted, but it had to be anti-religious. So they gave them the charter, but it could not have any kind of religious laws. Okay. So they left England because of religious prosecution, and they felt that their way of life was under attack. So they were prosecuted for their religion. They came here to escape religious prosecution and now they were given a charter that was anti-religious like they were given protection but it wasn't they weren't allowed to have their religious laws so their whole existence was being questioned wow yeah maybe not even questioned threatened yeah so there was political instability their values their beliefs are being challenged and they felt like they were under attack Diseases were running rampant. Native American attacks were increasing. Uh, their legal and political status was kind of in limbo, like it was in a gray zone. There was no def- yeah. definitive thing of like, here's what you are, here's who will support you. Um, between 1672 and 1688, so there's a period of 15 years, there were three different ministers in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. I feel like at this time, the the ministers were kind of like their, almost like the mayor or like the person that represented them. Like the minister was the one that was in charge of the colony. Okay. So these three different ministers, like they just couldn't unite. Uh, The colony was focused on weaknesses. Like I I think there was a lot of argument arguing uh it just wasn't a good time in this colony now this is the second generation so their parents were the ones that came here in massachusetts i want to say the 1650s so this is like this the generation after the settlers yeah 
So there was a Harvard dropout and a failed businessman named Samuel Paris. He lived and worked in Barbados as a sugar merchant and was, I guess, trying to become a minister. He had a wife, uh, three children in his custody. One was his niece, and he had a slave named, I've heard two different versions, Tituba or Tituba. Okay. I'm going to say Tituba because I don't like saying Tituba. <laughs> tituba. Yeah. I'm not a fan <laughs> of the word tit. <laughs> I'm going to pull the Philly out. (laughs) There you go. My syllables. So they moved to Massachusetts Bay Colony and Samuel Paris was set to be the fourth minister of Salem. Off the gate, this guy was divisive. He did not care. He fought for his salary for over a year before he started. So he left the colony in limbo you know, he's a religious minister mm-hmm. and he's fighting over a salary. So he kind of stepped right in. The town was divided. Some people liked him. Other people hated that him. He didn't care at all. He started and immediately the sermons were all about the others. He had a fixation or obsession on spiritual warfare. He said that the elect were in danger. Uh it just like they were already in troubling times and he kind of came in and just fueled the fire. They were products of land disputes and hardship. And these little girls that lived in Paris's house, all they see is their father or uncle Samuel running around screaming about witches, the devil, like, and he was angry. So again, you know, these little girls, like the, animosity that they're growing up around and witnessing I think fueled everything uh anyone that he talked about like when he was talking about the others it was the people that disliked him it wasn't the people that supported him anyone that spoke out against him he'd complain about them in his sermons to kind of turn the congregation onto them create divisiveness Mm -hmm. So in January of 1692, Abigail Williams, which is his 11-year-old niece, and Betty, which is his nine-year-old daughter, uh, they became extremely ill. They were, or they claimed to be bitten and pinched by invisible agents. Their arms, necks, and backs would turn this way and that. Uh, They, I think, would pretzel up, like they'd move their bodies and contort them. I'm almost thinking a modern day seizure. I was just trying to think like, what could that have been? Yeah. So what are the odds of like. Both of them. Yeah. Right. You would think it would had to have been like. Almost something that they would have caught together. Right. Like. Yeah. (sighs) Or they're both acting, you know, like that's a big theory of what happened that they just like. They were under so much social pressure. And then Samuel Paris is just constantly screaming about the devil. The devil's here. The devil's here. The devil's wreaking havoc, demons. And maybe they just snapped. It was a really, really. So this is January of 1692. Mm-hmm. It was one of the coldest and wettest winters on record. Okay. So 
what like now we call it seasonal affective disorder but what if it's like you know some kind of winter depression and it's just rainy it's wet the crops aren't doing well like it's just a crappy time of the year you know they're coming from barbados that's where they lived i mean beautiful barbados and then they come up to yeah snow that's a huge difference the doctor said it would be impossible for them to do this by themselves it was, this was beyond the power of an epileptic fit or a natural disease so samuel paris had the congregation praying for the girls well the prayers did not stop this and the rumor started to spread now there's two more girls uh ann putnam jr who was 12 and betty hubbard who was 17 then they started having these fits. Ann Putnam Jr., her dad was good friends with Samuel Paris. Okay. Uh, her dad is Thomas Putnam. So to set the stage here, his father, who is probably one of the original colonists, mm -hmm. one of the richest and most powerful man, men, one of the most, I can't talk. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Thomas Putnam's father, so it would be Ann Putnam Jr., her grandfather was one of the most richest and most powerful men in the colonies. Mm -hmm. So Thomas Putnam, he only inherited a small portion of his father's wealth and power, and he blamed his misfortune on the devil. He was an ally and a really close friend of Sam Paris, the, the minister, and a lot of people thought that Thomas Putnam was maybe pushing these girls to accuse people that he had issues with. Or if he didn't directly come right out, maybe he kind of whispered his suspicions. Uh, he had a neighbor named Rebecca Nurse, and they were going through like a big land dispute. Well, one of the girls or one of the women that his daughter, Ann Putnam Jr., accused is Rebecca Nurse. You know, it just so happened he was going through a legal battle with her at the time she's accused of being a witch. You know what I mean? It's shady. Yeah, absolutely. Suspicious. Yep. So then Sam Paris was calling on William Griggs. He's the only doctor in town. And he diagnosed all these girls as being under an evil hand. And this became a public spectacle. So people would gather around and come see these girls. They'd pray for them and watch them have these... I don't know, fits, like they'd scream and rhythm in pain and pretzel their bodies and move around. And it became, I don't want to say entertainment, but almost like entertainment. Like people came just to watch it. Yeah. Uh, I work in a school and when students get in fights, everyone's pulling their phones out to record it. Mm -hmm. Back then, you know, that this is a form of entertainment. What, you know, like these girls are bewitched by the devil. Look at them. Those poor girls. Yep. So the members of the congregation suggested that Paris's slave, Tituba, and her husband, John Indian, uh, they wanted them to bake a witch cake. What's so, a witch cake? Oh, you're going to like this. Oh, okay. Sounds delish. <laughs> they would take the victim's urine. <laughs> uh, already. <laughs> and rye mill and bake it in the ashes of a fire. Oh. Then they would feed this cake to a dog. The okay. Cake, the cake would reveal the source. Like once the dog would eat the cake, 
uh, the girls would scream out someone's name and that was a witch. Right? I can't even follow this line. Who? Who came up with that? Like what? Right. right. Okay. So the victim's urine was baked into a cake, fed to a dog. After the dog ate it, the girl would scream out and accuse a witch. And that was, yeah. yeah. So strange. For the record, these people sucked. There were dogs that were accused of witchcraft and put to Dogs? Death. Really? Yes. Like the dogs would be considered an ally of the, the witch and they would be put to death right poor puppies i know so these girls uh abigail williams and betty paris sam paris's niece and daughter immediately named tituba as their source you know she's the witch she mm-hmm. so she was an outsider she kind of she looked like the wabanaki native americans some people mm-hmm. said either she was from barbados they thought she was of caribbean or south american or possibly they they said native descent so these people are victims of they're well not victims but they're refugees because i i use the word victims loosely yeah i know what you mean but they're products of the indian war Mm -hmm. so who's their enemy the native americans and what does tituva look like a native american well, who's the witch? The Native America. See how this all looked like kind of fits. Yeah. So a month after really violent Native ambushes is when the witch hunt started and when these fits started. Uh, it was three years of relentless Native American warfare. So this is all these people know. This is the enemy. This is the enemy. This is the enemy. This is the enemy. Not... I guess seeing the picture as clearly as we do now that, you know, the Native Americans, the Wabanaki Native Americans occupied this land and these settlers came here and kicked them out. I mean, that's what really happened, but they see it as, you know, they're young children, you know, the Wabanaki natives are coming through for three years and there was really, really, really intense warfare. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, I think propelled or gave them reason to accuse all these people. All right. So within weeks, Ann Putnam Jr. and Betty Hubbard named Tituba, a woman named Sarah Good and a woman named Sarah Osborne. Betty Hubbard was 17. And this meant that she could testify at a capital case uh, in February of 1692, so one month after this all started, all three women were charged with witchcraft. Some of the other ways they were able to identify witches, uh, so it was the, the witch cake, if they had freckles, if they weighed more or less than a stack of books. <laughs> right, right, right. If you weigh more or less than a stack, if you weigh more than books, if you weigh more than a stack of books, you're a witch. And if you weigh less than a stack of books, you're a witch. Okay. I feel like, come on now. Right. Okay. If you messed up when you were reading a Bible verse, you were a witch. Oh, I would have been gone. Right. I stumble upon my words all the time when I'm reading. Yeah, so do I. Wow. Yep. Sarah Osborne. So she's 49 years old when this happens. 
she fought over land with her former husband's son or sons, and they were defended by Thomas Putnam. So here's another one. Thomas Putnam also fought with Rebecca Nurse. So mm-hmm. he defended the sons and all of a sudden, you know, a lady that he's fighting against is accused of being a witch. Go figure. And Sarah Osborne had a second husband. He was a lot younger than her first. And he was an indentured servant for a long time. They lived together for years before they married. And this was taboo. So this definitely meant she was a witch. And she that- was a witch. Of course, nothing on him, right? Correct. He was an indentured servant. Uh, Sarah Good, she was poor. She was married to a day laborer. And she was viewed as a nuisance because she was a beggar. Now, at this time, the Puritans, they did not pity people that engaged in any kind of self-pity. They thought she's poor because God's mad at her. This is God's wrath. This is her punishment. We're not going to help her out. We're blessed because we're the elect. Mm -hmm. They do no wrong, right? Yep. So they just kind of thought economic prosperity was a gift from God. Uh, Once she was accused of witchcraft, they'd go back and say, you know, oh, well, years ago, she got into a fight with her neighbor and then all the livestock died. So she probably is a witch. And then they use this as evidence at the trial. Wow. So John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin led these investigations they were experienced justices of peace which sounds like such an oxymoron they're a justice of peace yet they're going around you know claiming people are witches leading investigations. they're justice of peace so these three women they had to convince the men that they weren't witches uh good denied the charges flat out she said i'm not a witch well then people came out and said well, she always begs. And then if you don't give her anything, she mutters when she walks away. And this kind of shook the courtroom up because she was muttering. Well, what they said, what are you muttering? And she said, I was saying the commandments. And they said, go ahead and say them now. Well, she was silent. She was not a practicing member of the church. So she couldn't recite from the top of her head, the prayers. Guilty. Wow. Guilty. Sarah Osborne said there was a Native American that pinched her in her dream and nobody believed her. So every time Good and Osborne would speak, the girls that were in the courtroom that accused them of being witches, they would yell and wiggle and wriggle in place. And it was said that Good and Osborne's voices caused the girls anguish. Guilty. Wow. Again, wow. Like, I know I just said that, but. Yep. Uh, So Tituba went a different route and they accused her of being a witch. Immediately, she said, yes, I am. I'm a witch. She off the gate, just. Okay. Admitted everything. Mm -hmm. Another theory, though, they, some people, historians believed she did this to try something different to maybe spare her life. But others thought that the minister Samuel, 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 <laughs> minister Samuel Paris beat her before she went on stand. He was mortified that he was the minister and the devil was living in his home. Oh, 
Samuel Paris is mortified because he's the minister. Uh, she, Tycuba spent days telling these tales of witchcraft and devil worship. She said that Good and Osborne were the ones that told her to attack Putnam with a knife. So she kind of turned on the other two. Like the three of them were accused. She turned on the other two and was like, they made me do it. Oh, wow. Yep. She said there was a tall man in all black that forced her to pinch Abigail and Betty. Uh, he tempted her and he wanted her to serve him for six years. And he carried a book that was signed by all his followers. Well, the court said, how many signatures are in the book? She said nine some in Boston and some here. So this, the village of Salem is now Danvers. Danvers is right next to what is current day Salem. So it's kind of like this area. Okay. She survived. So Tituba was, I think, jailed, but they were going to- They spared her life. Right. But it laid the groundwork and the path for this to spiral out of control. March 7th, 1692, all three were sent to jail. They had to await trial. Two months into that, Good died while in custody. The fact that there were nine witches around, this really scared the town. In the Salem village, a woman named Martha Corey laughed at the girl's story. Now she's an elected church member, but she's also really outspoken and opinionated, which was taboo for a woman to be like that. Mm-hmm. Well, 12-year-old Ann Putnam started convulsing between March 7th and the 12th and blamed Martha Corey, the woman that laughed at her. The girls were saying there was a man whispering in Corey's ear, uh, like during the trial, they'd say there's someone whispering in her ear and they'd scream and writhe in pain. And this supported the idea that she was a witch. Check this out. Her husband came forward and said, it's difficult to pray in her presence. I believe she's a witch. Her husband? Husband. Right. He was looking to get rid of her, obviously. Uh, yep. Uh, so she was jailed first in Salem, then moved to Boston in March of 1692. Then instead of this being a tall man, now it's changing to being a black man. So there was belief that they were trying to kind of pull some kind of Native American, or maybe there was a specific person or maybe just the tribe in general that they were kind yeah. of pushing this on. Uh, Sarah Good had a five-year-old, her name was Dorcas. Sometimes she was called Dorothy. She was five years old. She was arrested and sent to Boston. She spent seven months in prison for being a witch. Why? She was the daughter of a witch. They said she was a witch too. Five years old. Oh my goodness. What happened to her then? She was released. Thank God. But Ugh. she's five years old. Wow. Yep. At, I mean, they're accusing people, these girls, you know, they're 12 years old and they're accusing all kinds of people in the town of being witches. Their Giles Corey was an 81 year old man. He ended up getting pressed to death. So what is that? No, oh, it's awful. I don't want to know. No, I do want to know. Say it. I don't want to know. <laughs> they wanted him to confess to being a witch. Mm -hmm. So they put stones on top of him until he confessed. 
he never confessed. He kept proclaiming his innocence. They kept putting stones on top of him until he died. Oh. And then they did this one. Check this out. They would throw the accused witch in water. If she could swim, she was a witch. If she drowned, she wasn't? Right. But she was dead from drowning. Wow. Yeah. Right? This is nuts. And these are all because of these... 12-year-old girls and a 17-year-old who jumped in on it. Oh, my God. These little bitches. (laughs) Seriously. Wow. Yeah. So... Rebecca Nurse, she's elderly, a beloved religious woman. She had eight children that she raised. She was the wife of Francis Nurse, heavily involved with the church. She was considered an elect member. I mean, the entire town loved her. Mm-hmm. Well, they she had a 300-acre farm. Okay. A big chunk of land. Huge, yeah. So this built resentment amongst the town that she had so much land she was in a border dispute with her neighbors the putnams oh no her neighbor's hogs destroyed her garden she was angry and the neighbor later died that's their evidence that she's a witch wow Ann Putnam Jr. and her mom Ann Putnam all both said that Rebecca Nurse was a witch well she denied the charges but accepted her fate as the will of god so she once they found her guilty she was just like this is the will of god didn't fight it just she said i'm not a witch but whatever like she didn't even argue it which is really sad yeah uh then in april 21 people were arrested now these are all people that were typical of those being charged with witchcraft. They were mostly older women without children on the you know outskirts of society. And sometimes they were, they had land or property or something that other people were resentful of. Uh, Bridget Bishop, she was an unpopular elderly woman and Abigail Hobbs, she's a 14-year-old. She'd say, I sold my body and soul to the old boy. Uh, these two were accused of it. Uh, the 14-year-old Abigail, she was often seen going into the woods at night. That sealed her fate. Deliverance Hobbs, the mother of Abigail, was arrested and charged. And five men were charged. They, they would say there's an app, the girls said there's an apparition of a minister who tore me to pieces. Well, George Burroughs was the minister from 1680 to 1683. Remember I said there were three ministers, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. George Burroughs had numerous arguments with parishioners. He ended up resigning and he was involved in a lawsuit over unpaid debt with the Putnam family. Oh, he brought in witnesses, gave his proof, and one, the charges were dismissed. This was all brought on by Thomas Putnam, Anne's husband and Anne Jr.'s father, and he was completely humiliated. So there, wow. Anne Putnam Jr., the 12-year-old, said 
George Barros is the spectral minister that tore me to pieces, like in her dream that no one else could say. So they allowed spectral evidence, which is stuff that was in dreams or unseen by all. These might be apparitions that these girls are seeing. So mm -hmm. all they'd have to say is, I had a dream that this person pinched me and they were charged with witchcraft. That's crazy. Right? So George Burroughs, uh, parishioners were coming forward. They said he had diabolical strength. He could lift heavy objects with a finger. He was actually charged. They called it spectral murder. The ghost of his first wife came to one of the afflicted girls and said that he killed her. I don't even know like what to say. Right? Isn't this nuts? I, yeah. Uh, on April 23rd, Deliverance Hobbs confessed and said that George Burroughs preached to her and her coven um, and pushed for them to bewitch everyone in Salem. So they just all started turning on each other left and right. Just They're trying to save themselves. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. So this was Abigail and Deliverance Hobbs. Their testimonies were released to the public and this caused a media frenzy. Well, not media, but like, you know, the neighborhood, they went nuts. There was an acceleration of charges at like as the spring and summer were coming in. Mm -hmm. And by the end of April, there were 29 people accused. Well, two months later, that number flew up to 68. And oh, wow. it started spreading beyond Salem and the surrounding villages. In May, Sir William Phipps, he's the governor of Massachusetts. He came to figure out what was going on. And he actually created the court of Oyer and Terminer, which means to hear and determine. Mm -hmm. he had the lieutenant governor William Stoughton lead this and the lieutenant governor ended up appointing judges for these witch trials so in April this started uh, these trials started on June 2nd Bridget Bishop or no I'm sorry in April is when the trial started so Bridget Bishop's trial started she's 60 years old the girls would start screaming and rhythm pain whenever she spoke. The neighbors would testify that she tormented them by sending black pigs and flying monkeys to their house. And she had a puppet or a voodoo doll that was found in her basement. I guess she had an argument with someone and the woman and children died later. So like this kind of sealed her fate. Mm -hmm. They stripped her naked in front of the entire village and she had the mark on mark of the devil on her. So on June 10th, 1692, she was the first witch to be hanged in Salem. Wow. Uh, it was kind of like a, about a month went by after she was hanged. They kind of paused their accusations and executions because spectral evidence was questioned uh, they sent it to the church. Uh, the church responded and said, we don't really like spectral evidence, but we have to get witches out. So, you know, we don't like the spectral evidence, but you got to kill the witches. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So they also allowed all these people in the courtroom because the people wanted to see these girls being afflicted by the devil. Mm -hmm. 
this got them more attention. This got the girls more attention. Historians actually like use this time, like because the, the church and the courts allowed spectral evidence and it started spreading beyond Salem, these historians used a digital media mapping device. They created a 3D visualization of the outbreak. It's really cool to see as the days would progress, you could see the red bubbles, you know, from June till October, the red bubbles on the map would keep getting larger and larger and larger. So they allowed spectral evidence, which was stuff that nobody else could see. Maybe one person could say, right. There's a ghost and they'd allow this in the court. So huh. Once they allowed spectral evidence, then all of a sudden everyone's accusing everyone of being a witch. A month later, so like the end of June, beginning of July, there a lot of opposition was growing. 71-year-old Rebecca Nurse was in jail and Judge Nathaniel Saltonstall angrily resigned. He was against spectral evidence. He said, this is not real evidence. Smart man. Yeah. yeah. So the town's angry because Rebecca Nurse was beloved and Governor Phipps wanted the clergy to do a theological assessment. So he wanted them to see all this spectral evidence. And this is when they also started to use the touch test in addition to spectral evidence. So the touch test, the presence of the hand of a witch would cause the afflicted to scream. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody could uh, yeah. these people. Yeah. So this minister, Cotton Mather, he was the one, he warned against using the touch test and spectral evidence, but he was the one that was like, let's get this, hurry up, get this, get the show over with, kill the witches. So then Mercy Lewis, who's 19, and Betty Hubbard, who was 17, they would travel all around the surrounding area and they had a reputation as skilled witch identifiers. So they went to Andover, Massachusetts, which was 12 miles away. And from July to September, they identified 40 witches. So these girls are getting a lot of attention in a time and society where women didn't get attention. Yeah. You know, it's kind of curious to wonder how this all started. Yeah. So then John Proctor, he's the first man that's accused. He's a tavern keeper. He's a God-fearing Christian. He proclaimed his innocence, but he attended Salem Village Church with Minister Harris. Uh, in March of 1692, so he had his third wife and he actually had 16 children. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he was beloved by the town. Um, he was really angry over the accusations against Rebecca Nurse because he didn't believe any of this. He thought these girls were making this up. He had a servant, 20-year-old Mary Warren. So she started having fits. He did not believe this. And he said, okay, she can have fits. I'm going to beat the devil out of her. And that's mm -hmm. what he thought. She recanted her statement and left a note on the court saying, you know, none of this is true. And I think the girls are lying. I made the whole thing up. The girls got angry and turned on her and accused her of being a witch. Oh, wow. So then she turned around and said, John Proctor and his wife, Elizabeth, are witches and forced me to say that they were not witches and to turn on the girls. 
There's a lot of finger pointing here. Right? And at this point, there were rumored sexual relations, possibly sexual abuse from John Proctor onto 20-year-old Mary Warren, his servant. Mm-hmm. And he ended up calling Mary his jade. Now, this is an insult at the time. It's kind of like calling her a whore. Okay. It was really damning. Um, when women like were accusing people of being like either if they were afflicted by witchcraft or they're at the center of these trials they kind of got celebrity status and it was a change in the power dynamics john and elizabeth proctor were charged with witchcraft he john proctor was really upset you know he had 16 children well his 16 year old son william was tortured in prison this is gruesome what they did to him Mm. To get him to confess of practicing witchcraft, they tied him up, his neck to his heels, and pulled the rope until blood gushed out of his nose. He was left. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That gave me the chills. Yeah. So, first week of August, six trials, four women and two men, they're all being killed or, you know, sentenced. Former minister George Burroughs was sentenced to death death by hanging. Well, he started reciting the Lord's Prayer and the whole crowd was moved to tears and crying. This caused disbelief to spread because supposedly witches could not recite prayers. Oh, okay. So Justice Cotton Mather said, well, the devil transformed into an angel and that's how he was able to do this. Of course. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so if you were, if you'd confess you were let to live, but you had to turn other people in and perhaps Samuel Paris was at the center of all of this. September rolls around and there were 15 convictions and nine executions. And this is when that Giles Corey, he refused to speak after the ac- accusation. He chose to be mute and he was the one that they put they pressed him to death by putting all the rocks and stones on him. During Rebecca Nurse's trial, one of the girls accused Samuel Willard. He was the pastor of the old South Street Church. Check this out. The judge said, no, you've mistaken. Have her removed from the court. So this girl is testifying that Rebecca Nurse is a witch, and that's okay. But she accuses pastor Samuel Willard, and this pisses the judge off, and he throws her out of the court. But her testimony is fine for Rebecca Nurse, but not Samuel Willard. Like, it's so crazy. Yeah, absolutely it is. Wow. So Burroughs hanging and prayer cast so much doubt. And then his Justice Cotton Mathers, his father's name was Increase, Increase Mathers. He released a, a book in early October called Cases of Conscience. Uh, proof of witchcraft requires free and voluntary confession. And he said, it's better for 10 accused witches to escape than one innocent person to be condemned. End of October is when, I guess, like things started winding down and they started coming to their sentences. Um, But during these hangings, like at the gallows, what they would do is shackle people like with iron shackles. They thought iron had magical properties and witches couldn't escape them. 
and the type, like the way they'd hang people was really terrible. They'd go to these gallows. What they would do is prop a ladder up against a tree and then someone would climb up the top of it. Mm-hmm. We'll have the person accused of being a witch in shackles, they'd cover their head and then have them with the noose around their neck, like pull them up the ladder, they'd climb up it. Mm-hmm. And it was actually, I guess the phrase was being turned off the ladder. So they'd be, let's say five, six steps up the ladder attached, like the ropes attached to the tree branch and they'd be spun off the ladder. And because it was a, a short hanging, mm-hmm. it's more like being strangled to death. When they would- If you fall high, their necks would probably snap. Yep. and be dead instantly yes and that was considered a merciful death this death that is short hanging strangulation they it would take over five minutes oh my god i can't even imagine that yep. so it was really 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 painful did they do that on purpose like was that intentional or is that just the way that they happened to do it do you know that's a good question i i'm not sure i don't uh. know but this gallows hill like the spot where these witchcraft or the the witch hangings were it it was kind of lost with time lost with history so governor phipps ended like by the end of october he actually stopped the court of oyer and terminer uh he released some of the prisoners that were held on spectral evidence well his wife was accused of being a witch and that stopped everything he also had any like it was completely banned to write about the trial and it was like a big cover-up books were burned records were burned the hanging site was dismantled it was lost to time and it wasn't until eight years later in london that someone had escaped and published a book called more wonders of the invisible world and they detailed the Salem witch trials. But prior to this point, it was illegal to write or talk about him. Wow. Like, okay. Right. Like all it took was his wife to be accused and all of this nonsense stopped. That's all. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think like he ended up saying the proceedings were too violent and weren't grounded on true foundation, but all it took was his wife to be accused before it right. In December of 1693, this new superior court took over. And then by May 1693, all the people were released and pardoned. What's crappy about this, they were still charged with the cost of jail. So they had to pay for their pretty much room and board and shackles and all of that. So if they didn't have the money to pay for their jail time, they stayed in jail. You had to pay to be in jail? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. They were charged fees. So for a lot of these people, because they were kind of like the outs, they lived on the outskirts of society and in poverty, they were in jail for being witches. They were innocent. They were released, but they couldn't pay their fines, so they couldn't leave jail. So now they're in jail for being poor. Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) And like, this goes back to the whole Penhurst thing. Like, Yeah, I I was just thinking about that. Yep. So over 24 people died, 24 people died, and over 140 were falsely accused. 
um, remember I said the hanging site was dismantled and kind of lost to time? Yeah. They used to think it was somewhere else called Gallows Hill. Like today it's called Gallows Hill. Mm-hmm. But I guess with this digital mapping, they figured like it would be too high with a cart and for residents to get there. Mm-hmm. And they wanted residents to see this. So they now believe it's at the bottom of a whole old hill. And it's called today, they named it Proctor's Ledge. It's a, I don't know, it's a high ledge kind of near a hill. And there's a home on the property that's been passed down from generations. And I think it's kind of like quiet rumors that this was the original site of the hangings in the backyard. And if it's true, when the dead were buried, they were dumped in a mass grave and forbidden a Christian burial because they were witches and their bodies were evil. Mm -hmm. So this ground penetrating radar was used and they caught layers of rocks but bones wouldn't be detectable because the state of the earth, like it's been how many years, right? but it's just been kind of a generational rumor that was passed down. Um, a lot of the people that, not a lot, but um, some people that were accused and they were wealthy, they were able to flee Salem and go somewhere else, but well, their homes and property would be looted. Now, during all this, a woman named Lydia Dustin, she was one, she died in prison because she couldn't pay the fees, even though all the charges were dropped. That's a shame. (laughs) Right. It's, I I just, it's ridiculous. Uh, There's the Essex County Sheriff, whose name was George Corwin. He was one that actually benefited substantially as the sheriff. So he would seize the estates and there was a law designed to help protect his new belongings and the land. So even after the trials ended, the system and laws that were put in place, they were unfairly stacked against the people that were once accused of witchcraft. So he seized, like he was the only, like he really made out, he took land, he took homes, he took valuables because he was a sheriff. And he could, yeah. And think of, so he might still have relatives today that are massive landowners in Massachusetts and look at how it was passed down or look at how it was gotten in the first place and then just passed down from generations. How would you feel if like you found out you owned a big house and a huge plot of land because of that? I couldn't imagine that. Uh I don't think I'd want it. Like it's no blood money, blood diamonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 1693, the entire village, there was bitterness. They were no longer friendly with one another. Morale was low. I mean, they went from accusing each other of being witchcraft or to practicing witchcraft to like the minister, you know, Samuel Paris, just saying like, let's all forgive one another. We're all, it's all good. Let's just move forward oh yeah people died people died and there's also people stuck in prison right still Uh, so he never formally apologized but what he did was offer meditations for peace and said that the devil may take shape of the innocent and he has sorrow for those that were affected by clouds of human weakness and satan's sophistry oh my goodness 
still doesn't apologize, doesn't own up to anything. He just wanted everyone to forgive one another. Uh, the nurse family was furious. They snuck in and actually took her body after she was killed. And then she has this like gigantic monument still in one of the uh, cemeteries up there today. Oh, good. By 1697, so about five years after this, that's how long it took the people to remove him. Paris and his daughter, Betty, were forced to leave Salem Village and not allowed to come back ever again. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and then five years after that, the Massachusetts General Court offered a day of prayer and fasting to seek God's forgiveness. Um, there was a judge named Samuel Sewell. He ended up standing on the Old South Church, like stood on the podium in front of the congregation. He apologized and begged for forgiveness. So he felt terrible. And then this was kind of interesting. In 1709, Ann Putnam Jr. wanted membership in the Salem Church. So she filled out an application and a, issued an apology for spilling innocent blood. So she kind of owned up to what she did. Oh, wow. And uh, there were financial reparations from the Massachusetts Massachusetts general court but I mean I don't know if the reparations you know you still lost a family member it yeah no that would not I don't care what the dollar amount would be like that would not make me feel better at all yeah and right when these ended Cotton Mather you know he he wrote a book. Now, this is before the days of newspapers. So if you wanted to share anything, you'd just write a book. And he mm -hmm. tried to explain what happened in five trials. He just picked up the five out that had the most evidence, quote unquote, mm -hmm. evidence. Like he totally left out the Rebecca Nurse trial. Um, I guess embarrassment. You know, he tried to cover it up or explain everything. But how do you explain it? You know? Yeah. So how'd this come about? A lot of people blame Tituba. Like years later, they'd say it was Tituba and her husband. It was their superstitions. It's all their fault. Some people said it was ergot poisoning, which I did do some digging to figure out what ergot poisoning is. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense, but it doesn't. So they... The key grain crop was rye, and because of this really, really, really wet winter, it caused blight, which there were fungal infections in the crops. So the main ingredient in LSD is lysergic acid dithalamide 25. This is found in ergot poisoning. So they were all tripping. Possibly. <laughs> possibly. But a lot of people have refuted this because they said, if you have ergot poisoning, like you just die. But these girls, like it's inconsistent with their symptoms. Like the, it was, their symptoms would come and go. If they had an audience, they'd perform. If there wasn't an audience, they wouldn't perform. But maybe that's how it all started in the first place. Like maybe it was slight ergot poisoning. They were hallucinating. They saw some stuff, they freaked out. And then they were kind of like too deep in it that they couldn't explain it. And they just kept it going. Yeah. 
So the Witchcraft Act of 1735 ended the Scottish Witchcraft Act of 1563 and made it a crime to claim witchcraft or supernatural powers. This act was used against the transient Romani people. So then in 1951, they had to replace this with the Fraudulent Medium Act. So you can't claim powers with the intent to deceive and make money off of people. Today, Salem is one of the most haunted places in the United States and has tons and tons and tons of paranormal activity. All of the places that have this paranormal activity, the Salem jail where the witches were held, a lot of the prisoners, some of them died from illness or they had injuries. Um, they say there's a lot of negative energy there. There's apparitions, cold spots and poltergeist activity. Proctor's Ledge, where everyone was hanged. Um, they say this has a lot of dark energy. There are apparitions and malignant occurrings. Where is it? The Turner Ingersoll Mansion, that's haunted. The old Burying Point Cemetery, Judge John Hawthorne, he was also known as the Hanging Judge, was buried. Mm -hmm. He was known to be really cruel and unforgiving who would send most of his cases to the gallows, whether they were guilty or not. Uh, his spirit supposedly haunts the old Bering Point Cemetery. People have caught visit, like pictures of a shadowy figure near his grave. Oh, wow. It's a blood, the blood of the witches left a stain on him. So he, he still has Hathorn, Hawthorn, like his great, great, great grandchildren are around. And I think he's kind of despised. The witch house, which is called the Corwin house, tied to judge Jonathan Corwin. Uh, he served on the court and he sentenced 19 people to death. This house has stood for over 400 years. It's the only one that's left from this. Mm -hmm. There's strange pictures or figures on film, uh, cold spots, odd noises. And this is now a museum. And the last one is the Joshua Ward House. This was built on the footprint of the home of George Corwin. He was the sheriff who tortured victims of the witch trials. And it's thought that either he or they still haunt the site. He was the one that did the pressing to Giles Corey, the 81-year-old man. Uh, he also... They, there's legends that when Giles Corey was dying, his last breath, he cursed Corwin and the town of Salem. Oh, wow. Yeah, so a lot of stuff going on. I can't wait till we go up there. Yeah, I'm so excited. I have never been and I have been wanting to go forever. But that book that I just wrote and read to you is the story of the Salem Witch Trials. I loved it. I learned so much. That was a really neat story to hear. I told you, I went down like a crazy rabbit hole. Like there was so much to this that I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> oh, I totally get that. Getting sucked in, going to one page to the next, leading you to another, to another. Yeah. Yep. I'm wild. So now we can be witches and uh, stop our Zoom call because this is magic, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah, I guess so.